Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show. It is episode 137. I don't know how you remember every week. Um, well, actually this week that was from memory. So uh, yeah, it's good, isn't it? Well, welcome to the show. My name's Adrian Hobart. My name's Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Suspense. Mysteries. Thrillers. And crime. <laughs> I nearly forgot. Uh, as I do every week. Welcome to the show. And we have two guests this week, which is rather exciting. We're speaking to Antonia Lassa, who is a French author. But is she? Is she indeed? Because Antonia is the not just the writer name of uh, Luisa Echenique, who is a Basque writer, but she's actually the alter ego. She has written in the guise of a completely different person and the way that she thinks. I would like to ask... So we've got, actually got three guests, technically. I would like to ask um, what our author, Lewis Hastings, who isn't really called Lewis Hastings, whether he does something similar or not, whether he writes as Lewis Hastings and he is Lewis Hastings when he's writing. Uh, it could be a co- good question. The other guest I was going to mention is Dr Jackie Collins, who has translated from the original Spanish... Uh, this wonderful book, Skin Deep, which uh, now Louisa, the, the author at the core of this, yeah. is one of uh, certainly Spain's most celebrated authors, but has decided to adopt an, a completely different personality to write crime for the first time. So if you're confused, we were too, a little, but it should become it's clearer. It's a great explanation, though. We asked that question, didn't we? And yeah. it, it led on to quite a lot of other um, topics of conversation, so... And, uh, of course, Jackie Collins, Dr. Jackie Collins, is famous throughout the crime writing world in the UK, particularly as Dr. Noir and uh, the creator of Newcastle Noir as well. So um, it is a fantastic uh, double header, triple header. header. (laughs) Well, triple header, yeah, or double and a half. (laughs) Double and a half, I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's confusing, but it should become clearer when we get to the interview itself. Right, let's get to some uh, publishing news, shall we? We shall, indeed. We'll start with um, something that we dealt with last week. We were talking about... Blurb. Blurbs, yes. The the habit of big publishers to take negative reviews, take the positive adjectives out of them and stick them on the cover. What a a fantastic pile of poo. What a uh, fantastic. That's the thing. It could be a fantastic pile of poo. (laughs) <laughs> some people might want that anyway this has raged on this week and in the guardian they report uh as fun sorry no this is the bookseller i do apologize that has reported this and um the society of authors the soa has denounced the industry's morally questionable use of puff 
on, <laughs> I don't mean drugs, on book jackets with Bonnie Aid Books UK planning a good practice guide for future use. And as you'll remember, the situation became hotly contested earlier this month when James Marriott, a journalist at the Times, revealed the use of coits from his negative review on the paperback Jordan Peterson's Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, published by Alan Lane. And this sparked criticism from others such as Johanna Thomas Kaur, um, that's the literary editor of the Sunday Times, whose words also featured on the book jacket. Some suggested the situation required the industry to consider the policy of blurbs more widely. Well, the bookseller says that they approached many publishers around procedures or plans to get a best practice document together on blurbs. And uh, most of the uh, companies refused to reply. Interesting. Well, they didn't ask me. If they had, I would have sent them a reply. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) indeed. So, um, actually, it is uh, Bonnier Books that have uh, broken uh, cover on this and so that they are putting together a a new guide for their staff. What happens is, apparently, is that anything that sort of reviews or get put into Biblio, Mm. You, is it a system you're familiar with? Yeah, yeah. Right. It's very used across the industry, it's right? It's like a metadata thing, yeah. Yeah. And it's from there that, you know, publicity teams will take what they need and put into the press releases and onto covers and all that sort of thing. Mm. So um, they are, this is where some of this has crept in. Um, but uh, Lucy, uh, I'm going to find someone who has talked about it from Bonnier. Bear with me. Uh, well, anyway, the Society of Authors are very upset about the situation, as we mentioned, and their chief executive is Nicola Solomon, mm. and she's uh, urging greater trans- transparency. Uh, quoting lines out of context isn't clever marketing. Readers deserve to know what they are buying, and <laughs> reviewers deserve the confidence that their comments will be honestly represented. Everyone understands that there will be some puff, but this goes far beyond that. And there should be no place for it in an industry built on the exchange of creativity, knowledge and ideas. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I just think, well, you know, it's been going on for decades. So why now? It's one of those, like an open secret. We were talking about this when um, we were talking about the um, paying for chart positions and table positions in bookshops. It's been it's an open secret, and then suddenly now everyone's saying, "Oh, that's terrible! That's awful!" Yeah, um, well, it is awful. It is awful. Uh, but it's been going. Uh, well, it doesn't mean it's right. I mean, look, how many other aspects of society have we challenged for not? You know, it's always been the way we've done things, but it's not right. Lots of things. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. So the, the you know it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're going to introduce the subject of AI again now. And I just wonder whether at some point we're going to get AI written blurbs. Well, some some companies are offering that, actually. But whether or not, you know, you're going to have a situation where fake journalists are created by AI. <laughs> well, I mean, in a way, you could do, couldn't you? Because you could just put a word um, and, yeah, a fake name. And sometimes when I look at the back of a book, I, I see names and I think, oh, they're probably famous, but I don't know who they are. Mm. Okay, on the subject of AI, UK publishers have urged the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, to protect authors and other content makers' intellectual property rights as part of a summit on artificial intelligence. This is a report in The Guardian this week. The intervention came as OpenAI, the company behind the chat GPT chatbot, chatbot, um, argued in a 
legal filing that authors suing the business over its use of their work to train powerful AI systems misconceived the scope of US copyright law. So a letter from the Publishers Association in this country, which represents publishers of digital and print books, as well as research journals and educational contact, content, rather, asks Rishi Sunak to make clear at the uh, summit in November, which is coming up, um, the intellectual property law must be respected when AI systems absorb content produced by the UK's creative industries. And what's been happening is that people have been feeding in traditional works and teaching this large language model how to write in the style of. Mm. And indeed, certain systems like PseudoWrite, which I've played with just for fun, um, encourage you to put some of your writing in and it'll try and cre- recreate your voice. So, um, but there is this real challenge in that, you know, the systems will get more and more sophisticated and sound more and more like the authors that um, they purport to be. Yeah, I mean, like that example that Ian Rankin did a few months ago. It sounded very, almost Ian Rankin, not quite. Mm. So, mm. so in the UK, the government has backtracked on an initial proposal to allow AI developers free use of copyrighted books and music for training AI models. The exemption was raised by the Intellectual Property Office in June 2022, but ministers have since rode back on it. In a report published on Wednesday, MPs said the handling of the exemption proposed proposal showed a clear lack of understanding of the needs of the UK's creative industries. I think it's most obvious if you Google um, or search on YouTube for uh, Noel Gallagher. I played this to you, haven't I? Mm. Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. Someone has put Liam, uh, they've created an AI version of Liam Gallagher's vocals so that you put that over Noel Gallagher's solo project and it sounds like an Oasis record. Mm -hmm. It's incredible just how accurate it was, or indeed some of the people who've recreated Freddie Mercury singing modern hits. Yeah, there's you have played some, and Talin Laversha you played some too. And it's pretty spooky, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think we were both quite spooked by that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, it is. It, it is very, very strange. You had some positive news about, uh, uh, better news from the biggest company in the industry penguin yes it was just a small story and it's always good to see a company when the company's doing well isn't it cheers you up so penguin random house that little tiny company that makes books um reported a nine percent increase um in uh profits in the first quarter of 2023 so which they're, they're quite against, happy and they're which doing runs well. against the trend really of quite a number of the big publishers who said things are a bit down. Well, I mean, it, that's quite a broad statement. You know, you, you do question what portion of their business has seen the increase, you know. Oh, yeah, because it's so broad. <laughs> it could be, yeah. Then but, it, could, it could be that, you know, they weren't spending any money on trying to take over Simon & Schuster anymore. So that's that might, true. Have, might have helped. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, well, I mean, go Penguin. It's lovely to see such a, a sort of up-and-coming, uh, independent, you know, indie spirit, trad values, company like ourselves doing well. Hmm, slightly different from us. But other good news I have is that I'm going to the um, IPG conference, Autumn Conference, in two weeks. Are time. you going to get booed entering the building because of the comments I've made about the Possibly. IPG in the last few weeks? Possibly. I hope not. Well, I hope you have a wonderful experience, and it's lovely. Um, someone's um, invited you to come. Yeah, well, I basically got a free ticket. So um, someone I do some work for, she told me that if she buys three tickets, she gets one for free. And she just said, do you want it? 
So I said, yes, please. Buy three, get one free. Because they're, they're not cheap, are they? They're, no, they're really they're, not cheap. No, they're several hundred quid. So, um, yeah. So I, I basically bit, virtually bit her hand off at that. Well, you never know what might come of it. But, yeah, um, no, I, I know other people who are going, people I work with besides in Hobeck. So it'll be good to, um, you know, see, shoulders, see faces. Mix. Yeah. Okay. Jolly good. Right. Let's get to our interview. It's a, it's a long one. Um, we were absorbed by this. And uh, you'll probably gather we've been quite sort of international the last few weeks um, with some of our work. And, it's you know, it's good to have a sort of broaden our palette a bit. But this is the first time that we've spoken to an author in San Sebastian in the Basque country of Spain. Um, and uh, that is Antonia Lassa, except it isn't really. It's Luisa. Uh, Antonia is the uh, alter ego, writing alter ego for Luisa. And uh, Luisa is a really famous author across Europe. She has won big awards in uh, France, um, where she's a knight of literature. Um, Gosh. She's also in charge of and created a women's fiction um, sort of literature festival in San Sebastian that's been held since 1988. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, I guess, the equivalent of speaking to when we spoke to Kate Moss, um, in terms of Spanish literature. Yes, in, in the impact that she's had on yeah. the world of women's literature and literature in general. So. And Dr. Jackie Collins, who has a wonderful uh, podcast, and uh, The Doctor Will See You Now, which is uh, where she interviews a lot of crime authors and is really well established in the UK crime community. But she's also a lecturer um, and teaches modern languages. And so uh, that combined you know, with her passion for crime, meant that she was the ideal person to translate Skin Deep into English. And we we asked Jackie lots of questions about that process too, and so we got some very interesting answers. Yeah. So let's talk to Antonia Lassa and Dr. Jackie Collins. We're making a bit of a habit of being international. We are. Show, aren't we? Know, I love this travelling, even if it's not real. So we're going both to San Sebastian in the Basque country of Spain and also to the UK. Whereabouts, Jackie, are you? I'm I'm in Edinburgh at the moment. Oh, fantastic. Oh, lovely right. Edinburgh. <laughs> Just after the festival. and yeah. uh, peaceful again. <laughs> yeah, the cleaning up operation will carry on for months, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome, uh, Jackie Collins, uh, Dr. Jackie Collins. No Dr. relation, Noir. by the way. No relation, as far as I know. A very familiar figure <laughs> on the UK crime scene, and in fact, international crime scene, we ought to say. And we're also joined by the wonderful author Antonia Lassa welcome to the show thank you thank you very much it's a real pleasure to speak to you both and this is um something we've been doing a fair bit of recently is talking to both original author in original language and the translator and it's such a fascinating relationship I have to say so um we'll talk to you Jackie first about this because you took this wonderful work by Antonia and then faced the challenge of trying to reflect the the beauty of the Spanish in English. How difficult was that? I think the, first of all, it, I mean, it was an absolute honour to have what, what for me is, it's a beautiful text in the original, even though it's dealing with, you know, murder and mayhem 
it it is so beautifully written in the original language. And so, if any you know, if anybody who's tuning into the into into the program, you know, can can t can do that and read in Spanish um, to encourage people to do that, you know, to read uh, Antonia's uh, original. Um, and I think for me that was the challenge to, because I'm not I'm not sure that that English is such. I don't think I don't personally think we can talk about English as a beautiful language. It's a powerful language. Uh, it's a language that is so flexible, and it's a language that has many ways of expressing something. But I'm not sure that you know that English is as 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 beautiful as as a Romance language is. Uh, and so that was for me was the challenge to be able to at least go some way in into conveying the beauty and and the the skill i think with which antonia uses that original language you know for that impact to be there yeah yeah i can i can see that because i mean i don't speak spanish but you, just hearing spanish the, there's a beauty and a rhythm to it that we can never quite get in english can we exactly yeah and it's an unfair question, Antonia, but you are a fluent English speaker and writer. So, what do you think of the product, the uh, the work that that Jackie's done on it? Are you happy? Well, uh, the first thing I have uh, I want to say is following the wise advice of uh, Jackie. Uh, I'll try to speak slowly, which for a Spaniard is not uh, an easy task. <laughs> So, uh, well, I, I think the distance between languages um, allows us to appreciate the qualities of the other language. So uh, for me, English is a very flexible language, is this, this uh, capacity, uh, I would say this flexibility, this capacity of, of, of um, how to say, of creating very, very lively sentences and images, etc. So, uh, and also the musical quality. So for me, this this life that um, Jackie put in the text is uh, is great. She is really generous with uh, my writing, but uh, uh, I think her translation is uh, is uh, very very good in the sense that. Uh, for me, the characters, the situations, uh, the rhythm of uh, of the the style is uh, is real, is natural, and uh, this uh, I, I think that the best thing for um, translation is to sound natural, to sound um, genuine, not a sort of a false thing. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? Is the case. Because at the moment, there's a lot of talk about. Well, why do we need translators? We've got such good technology in AI. Couldn't we just put it into an AI and it would come up with a direct translation? But I think what you're saying is that the translator's job isn't li isn't just to literally translate a text. Obviously not. And uh, is 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 the quality? I would say the human quality because uh, you know uh, characters are. People, I mean, real people, even if they are paper people, but real people, and uh, it's necessary this warmth, this uh, nuance, and uh, 
uh, and, and and also the capacity of listening and uh, the capacity of listening also the, the the own language because a good translator is a, a person who knows well the the foreign language but uh, who knows perfectly well his or her language uh, and uh, well and when when i read skin deep um, in english uh, for me is a uh, is is a real thing <laughs> is a real text and uh, and uh, that's why i'm so grateful to jackie for this this wonderful wonderful uh, work we apologize for the interruption yeah, to Pat. i don't know if you heard me owing in the background <laughs> she's just turned up <laughs> And she cannot, uh, she cannot avoid being part of this podcast. So uh, that's uh, that's our burden at the moment. But uh, Jackie, I mean, you're so familiar with the broad range of crime fiction, not just by English and British authors, but also you know internationally. What is there a temptation when you're translating a crime novel to try and um, conform in a way? to the genre as well as interpreting the 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 beauty of the language that that is that is a wonderful wonderful question because when when i set off on the process i was thinking um so with especially with the the police officer you know who's part of the police force and as opposed to the the private investigator yes yeah and and i'm i'm trying to hear and i think it was i i had this mix between beck you know the the, the swedish detective mm-hmm. yeah um and maybe frost right you know on, on, and and i kept thinking no you have to stop trying to fit it and you have to let this character be because whilst there is a slight caricature there of of a personality that they, that they are you know don't try to put them you know it's it's not a nordic noir this is not a nordic noir novel this is not a uk you know this is not british detection um, and i'm sure you know i'm sure antonio will say this this is very much a european text because of various elements and as such to allow those characters to inhabit their own space and identity and not try to peg them elsewhere whilst using you know really traditional phrases you know where an investigation is concerned um and so that that again was a challenge to use vocabulary that we're all familiar with you know, other than, you know, Taggart said there's been a meddler. And enabling those characters, you know, both investigators, suspects, criminals, victims, to have those authentic voices. I mean, I think that's one, again, that's one of the challenges that, you know, a, a a French character because let's face it you know we're talking French characters here yeah whilst the original text in Spanish French they're not going to express themselves like a, a British character so how do you 
again, the challenge of flow and identity, to, you know, to enable that. Yeah, I'm sorry, I think I've probably wandered way off the question. But... No, no, it's, I think it's all relevant, isn't it? And it's it's very interesting because I don't think people think about that. They think you're just translating a story. They don't think no, just... about how the depth that you go into the minds of the character, which is almost as much as the original. This is where we touch on what we were talking. We were talking to Quentin uh, uh, Blake. Blake. Uh, no, Bates. Not, Bates, Bates, Quentin Blake. I know my head was thinking that too. But Quentin Bates, who is one of the principal translators and interpreters, mm. I should say, of Icelandic into English and has been at the sort of fulcrum of developing the Icelandic noir yeah. um, phenomena. Yeah. And, you know, he said that it's, it, there's the, it's the difference between translating the words and interpreting the intent. And I think that's what you're talking about here, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I think it is. Luis, Antonia, do you want to come in on, on this? Yeah, well, um, I think it's, it's important to to know that uh, for me as a, a writer, I have two different personalities mm. as a writer. So um, I'm the, the author under my, my real name of several novels and uh, poetry, etc., so uh, writing under uh, the name of Antonia Lassa is, um, uh, is a beginning rig. And uh, so Skin Deep is her first novel. And uh, this idea of not creating sort of stereotypes or, um, you know, the usual, the usual uh, characters, et cetera, or atmospheres, um, for me, it was very simple because, in, in a way, I'm a newborn to even to the genre because it's my first uh, noir novel. But I think, is um, as a writer of literature, um, the idea of of being original is probably a very big term. But uh, the idea of find in every text and in every character something singular something unique is uh, is uh, extremely important and for me is extremely important so i don't think there is a noir genre i think genre uh, noir genre is a sort of open horizon to try mm -hmm. to put um, in it um, different um, versions or, or different nuances and uh, so in this sense I appreciate what I try to create, how to say, original uh, or or newborn characters, and so I appreciate this this effort and the talent of of um, Jackie to um, translate them this singularity into uh, into English, but. Uh, I think even in in very popular genre as um, you know romance or or noir, I think as writers we have the responsibility to give to the readers something, as I said before, unique, something new, something fresh. So uh, for me, uh, this was the 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 challenge and. Um, and obviously, because um, I'm a newborn writer, uh, probably this this uh, freshness is is a sort of how to say lack of experience. 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. But I, I, I'm just interested in what you said about um, the writer is different from who you are, the person with a different with your original name. Was that a conscious decision to when as you're the writer writing as a sort of with that slightly different personality? Yeah. Well, for me, it was uh, uh, very conscious and uh, I prepared very well for, for a long time. Because, uh, how to say, uh, Antonia Lassa is not a pen name, it's um, um, uh, heteronym, heteronym. So it's um, uh, in the way of, of uh, uh, Fernando Pessoa's uh, deed. So Antonia Lassa has a, a different biography. Uh, she's French, she's an enologist, she's younger than me. So uh, it's a totally different path uh, of writing. And I wanted I wanted this freshness, this adventure. I, I wanted um, to write without habit, to write without memory, to write in a sense without the usual, for me, the usual uh, toolbox. Uh, I wanted something, uh, I wanted to be, how to say, um, uh, in an exploration of uh, a totally new path with not my usual skills, if I can put it mm. this way. No. So this, this um, capacity of creating uh, in, in hesitation, in a sort of trembling, uh, trembling, mm. trembling way, and uh, uh, this doesn't mean that uh, I don't pay. Uh, that this is not a very, um, how to say, very deliberate um, uh, work. On the contrary, and for me, it was very difficult to to write differently. So probably I put a lot, a lot of attention. But it's what I wanted to to need. A sort of new set of skills to write this. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, I find that absolutely fascinating. It, it, it I mean, it, the, in other forms of the arts, it's not an unusual phenomena mm. in the sense that an actor will adopt or even a different, a, an artist as well. An yeah. artist, but mm. also in, you think about musicians. Um, the person who comes to mind immediately is David Bowie, who. Yeah would chuck away a persona like Ziggy Stardust and then become the Thin White Duke and then move on to all the other things that he did and actually approach his art and his craft entirely from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And and that's what you're, you're doing in a way. But um, do you start to dream as Antonia? Do you, when you're at your keyboard, <laughs> do you change your routine? Yeah, does she, does she have her coffee differently to you? <laughs> well, in in a sense, uh, I think for a writer, I, I'm a novelist. I'm uh, basically a novelist, mm. so I have the, the you know the, the experience of um, creating a distance between me as the real author and the narrator of uh, the story. So, in the sense, created different personalities for the narrators, different voices is uh, something quite familiar uh, mm. uh, to me. But uh, so in this case, I would say that in the beginning, I, I um, how to say, I imagine Antonia, because it was easier, easier for me, 
I imagine Antonia as a sort of narrator, a different narrator, but, uh, but uh, well, she's more than that. So, and uh, she have, she probably has different ideas. I, I, I have to, I get, I have to engage more conversations with her, but, uh, but, uh, but it's a, it's a different personality and I want her to be, uh, to be different. And uh, we were, uh, we were talking about um, uh, previously about the, the, this idea of, of uh, Northern uh, crime or, well, this is a Southern, <laughs> a Southern book is in the sense I'm, uh, I'm from Spain and I'm from the north of Spain, but Antonio is French, and so uh, this idea of also um, creating something able to 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 reach totally different people, but also getting this atmosphere of of southern warmth. So mm -hmm. I I think this is important because for me. Uh, noir uh, is, is a genre uh, is um, uh, is hot. It's not cold because I mean, uh, <laughs> crime touches the 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 the, the, the most um, intimate feelings and uh, emotions of people. So it can't be cold. <laughs> I mean, it's is extremely extremely hot, extremely um, intimate. So I think this also the exchange of of atmospheres of um, um, climate I think is um, is is good. Yeah, um, Jackie, I presume you've read uh, Antonia as Louisa um, and read some of her other work. I I I have indeed. May, may I say that that. Um, we have a connection that that goes back a number of years. Um, mm. We have a a very good friend in common, uh, another um, Spanish writer, another author based in 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 the Basque Country, um, Javier Otaola, and and he introduced us. Um, it almost feels like another lifetime ago, and and I was able to to read Luis, Luisa's work then, um, and. They are they are very different authors, very different writing styles, Luisa and Antonia. And I I know you mentioned Luisa about Antonia, um, being that you know that uh, like a newborn author, and and it it felt very much that to to read the original manuscript and think this isn't the author that I read. You know, before I'm thinking uh, the book um, El El Menor El Mal Menor El, el Mal Más Grave. El, yeah, I'm thinking you know, it was so, I mean, dark and and gloomy and grave. Um, whereas there is a slight playfulness. I think I think Antonia's writing there is a playfulness there, despite you know the the seriousness of the crimes that that's there. I almost feel like the author is there's a wink involved as <laughs> she writes, which I don't think as Louisa I, I, there there wasn't a frivolousness in in the writing. So there there is very different. 
I think, very different creations, shall we say. Yeah, because, well, this was the adventure, the, the fact of writing differently for me. And uh, so in this sense, the, the exploring uh, new possibilities and also taking into account that I'm writing um, a novel, um, a noir novel, so the the reader, my readers also uh, will be different because my okay, my readers uh, or the readers of my literature um, probably are looking uh, in my books um, for different uh, things, and I think Antonia's uh, readers because they are probably uh, fond of of. Um, um, Roman noir of, of uh, crime literature uh, will expect uh, well won't be or, or, or <laughs> don't want to be disappointed by by the novel. So it's also a reflection and re reception on on, re on readers, etc. Totally different. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. But uh, I insist in in this fact that. Uh, I don't know yet of the of the clues of Antonia and mm -hmm. uh, of her literary um, program, of her personality, and and uh, this also how to say uh, it allows me to in a sense to be in touch of a new youth for myself. Mm -hmm. So when you are young. Uh, you don't know the uh, you don't know the world or you know you don't have all the all the clues all the all the keys for things all the answers and uh, so uh, it's also the opportunity to to be um, to have a different age through her yeah but that that in itself certainly in the UK I think now is quite risky because I think that. The younger generation. So we're talking about the two of us are in our fifties now. Only just. Only just. But we're in our fifties, <laughs> and so I, young. and I detect within uh, the generations that have succeeded us a certain um, protectiveness of the fact they're young and you're not. And I'm sure I behave the same. We way. did. No, we absolutely did. And so, so. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes feel that there is a a cultural shift where how dare you try to be young <laughs> kind of, you know, and, and, and that might be also in terms of artistic expression. Um, you can't speak for our generation. You don't understand, you know, we're pro we're generation rent in the UK. We can't get on the housing ladder, all those sort of things that they're resentful about. Does that did that cross your mind at all that you you know you're you're putting yourself there out there as Antonia as a younger person able to uh, you know transport yourself into that younger person, mm -hmm. but there might be a resistance. Well, for me, this the, the, this youth is is more uh, for the private space than for the public space, mm. and I think youth is um, uh, an unbalance between questions and answer. And when you get older, um, um, you have to be very, very, well, very aware of not 
you know, are not unbalanced on the other on the other sense, think that you have more um, answers than questions. And uh, so uh, I I don't I'm not I'm not thinking about a younger uh, public. I'm thinking about the experience of uh, starting things and starting writing uh, writing as uh, it was totally new, totally fresh, totally well in a sense with with many 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 things to learn and uh when you're a writer and you have as i have a long a long career long experience in the writer um, um I, I don't want to think that i know everything <laughs> so uh, well i know that i don't but uh, so in this case antonia has many things to learn because she's younger and also because she's a very, very new writer. And so this this fact of trying again to be under skill uh, seems very exciting and uh, important to me. Mm. I mean, Jackie, you, in your work outside of the literary world, working with students and, and, and education, you'll see this, this, this sense that, you know, who are you to tell us? <laughs> Um, does that, does that ring true? Does am I? Do, do you know? I, I I well, I think it's a, a game of two halves, um, a coin with two sides. I I, I wonder, and as you say, you know, and our generations at certain points did this thing of staking a claim to a space, a way of being, a culture, and I think probably because now more than ever there is that crossover because of everything that social media has enabled to do us to do to be in different spaces so i can see in a way why there's almost like a hey you know back off this is our time this is who we are and of course here are we getting older with still so much energy and so many <laughs> ideas and wanting to create and do and be um you know it's like no you know I'm, I may be you know I may be in my 70s but I'm still a rock star and I'm not putting my guitar down you know because I can still fill a stadium so there's that on the one I really understand that allows the space and yet my experience gives me so much hope for the future because I see amongst many of the students that I work with a willingness to share, to support, to encourage. And I don't know whether it's a thing of students who study modern foreign languages and they're a bit different because I think we're a bit of a different breed. Um, but I, you know, I really feel that young people want to share. I think it's important for us on the other end to, to be aware of how we do it. And, and what we do and giving space you know I think you know we, we often talk um in you know when we're, we're talking about you know women's rights and giving space and allowing people you know their time and so I think with young people we do need to allow that does that make sense yeah, it does. And, you know, we're surrounded by young people with five sons between us. So <laughs> well, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and only this week have I been hunting accommodation for my younger son who needs to get to Cardiff University and and and, and find somewhere to live, which we did eventually. But boy, oh boy, was that it's tough. A, it's, a, it's tricky. <laughs> um, and I'm just thinking, to, you know, and I was I couldn't help but feel 
and and this might uh, speak to you too, Antonia, a certain element of jealousy, because <laughs> I, I I spent a year at Cardiff doing journalism, and I loved it, and I just thought I'm I felt myself reliving that experience walking around the center of that wonderful city mm-hmm. with him and trying to show him all the things that I loved about it and wishing I could do it again. And that you, you Antonio, you're taking on this uh, alter ego, uh, you know, creative alter ego that, that perhaps did, did that satisfy that, that, uh, that um, desire? Well, I think there. Um, um, I, I want to uh, to react a little bit um, uh, on the the answer by by Jackie. Sure. Answer by Jackie. Uh, um, because uh, yes, I agree with her, and I have also uh, young students uh, and um, young readers. And uh, I think Jackie's answer. Maybe I'm wrong, but is um, is uh, sort of. Uh, identification of of youth with a sort of political uh, political answer to the world generosity etc cetera, etc cetera, which is uh, absolutely uh, absolutely right and that uh, I also I found around me um, young people with a lot of concerns and, and because they know also our, our world is well is in danger in 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 many in many areas. But um, I think, uh, and uh, in, in this sense, Skin Deep, I think, put uh, things uh, clearly. Um, I, I don't think, uh, I wonder sometimes if um, uh, youth is a question of age. So also around me, I see young people who are not, uh, young, I mean, in a sense, mm. uh, maybe they are under in 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 the early twenties, but uh, they are not uh, young because for me, youth is is in a way is desire is uh, and and the capacity of surprise, and we live in the world where they are. Are very vulnerable to this intoxication of um, um, artificial desires, and uh, and so in, in the book, in in my novel, we have all uh, women who are very young inside of them, no, because their desire is still alive, still fresh, still ambitious, and on the other hand, we have a very young uh, man who has sort of maturity in him which doesn't correspond to uh, his age so i think it's um, important to 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 reflect and to talk with young people uh, with young people about what youth means for them the fact Mm. of being uh, in the beginning uh, of life and, uh, and 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 sometimes uh, I see uh, even with children, I have the impression of being surrounded by all children and by all young people. Mm. 
it's interesting yeah I mean yeah. The, yeah. my my mum who is um I think 83 and she she says she she said I still feel young I you know I still have the same emotions and feelings and desires and yeah I think that's that's an interesting thing because I think that um I'm going back to my uh, career with the BBC and uh, as a manager. So I get to this point in my life where I'm just turning 50, just about to when I left. And in a way, I was trying to talk to my staff who were ranging between sort of 22 and uh, my age um, in terms that, you know, I felt the same way too. I felt I was still the 21-year-old version of me. And the way that I talk, but it was uncomfortable for people because you're a boss, you're 50, you know, you're approaching 50, you're a dad of two kids. Uh, what are you doing trying to engage on the things that, you know, we're talking about, which is things like desire, drinking, whatever it might be, the, the sort of the the paraphernalia around being young and the things you do socially. It There was something that, that there was a disconnect and a, and a dis, you know that the, the they were uncomfortable about and uh, and that fa- I found that very difficult. But do you think that's partly because you know what it feels like to be twenty and you know what it feels like to be fifty? They only know what it feels like to be twenty. Yeah. They don't. They have yeah. no idea what it feels like to be fifty. No, true. So they imagine to feel to be to feel fifty, you feel mature, grown up, sensible. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but I I think that how. Uh, can we connect um, and well how can we talk uh, to them in a, in a fertile way you know? yeah. fertile for both <laughs> I mean for both sides yeah. and uh, well um, 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 Jackie was underlying these uh, political aspects of, uh, of um, our youth and also I think we should we should talk with them more about ageism. And uh, so the, the political aspects are connected uh, with age. And uh, because young people are in general sensible to political issues and to political concerns and to political discriminations, etc., I think uh, a very fertile ground to start talking about that kind of things is uh, is what ageism represents in our society, which is by far for me the the strongest uh, form of uh, discrimination. It's the one that is least talked about, perhaps. I don't know, Jackie. I mean, you're you're very politically um, uh, motivated and 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 very very strong on these subjects. But does that does that ring true for you? I, yeah, I, I think I think it is. It's almost like, and it's so good to see so many different subjects being brought out into the open, and and trying to move towards a greater notion of of equality and diversity and inclusion. It's it's we are there is no doubt there is progress being made. So much more that can be done, obviously, and yet it's almost like. The great taboo with regard to that is let's not talk about old people. Let's not talk about getting old. You know, we only have to look at the media and how much there's about, you know, staying young, you know, keeping fit, you know, 
brushing away the years, all, all that. And instead of embracing those of us who are lucky enough to get older, yeah, and, and the privilege that it is to get older, you know, we, we should be doing more around this. But I really think, you know, at least as you said, that, that thing of the dialogue that needs to take place, you know, on so many levels between, you know, different generations of the transition that occurs and an understanding. Because, you know, I think, as you know, as you said, that idea of they don't know what it is to be 50, 60, 70, 80. Well, maybe we have a responsibility to help people understand, mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to pave the way, to enable people to understand that it's okay to get older, you know, and while certain things, okay, maybe disappear, maybe we can't do everything we did. There's, you know, there's so many things to still think about and do and be. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, the, 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 not untouched because there are things being done, but the scope that there is to bring the notion of ageism and just bust all the myths around it is really important, I think. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, it's interesting because it, it reminds me of conversations I have with my contemporaries, um, my friends, and uh, and I tend to hit – this is a – I don't mean this to be a uh, contentious point, but this tends to be – my female friends who will say oh i feel so old i look so old phrases like that and i just said look um well what's the alternative i mean getting older is you know there's there's a, there is an alternative to getting older um and you can't uh, come back from that exactly one. <laughs> yeah. so you know yeah. snap out of, and i don't say snap out of it but that's kind of the implication i'm trying to say is look embrace it you know it's it's yeah you're not going to look in the mirror and see the 20 something you know, or in my case, four or five stone less person um, than I am now. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And and I love, Antonio, at the beginning of your book, you talk about uh, dental implants. Now, I haven't had any yet, but I'm, I do need them. I've got a huge amount of teeth missing at the front here. And I did have really bad toothache last week. Yeah. <laughs> and that is something that I don't think I ever appreciated would be a factor of my life when I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. um i didn't look after my teeth particularly and boy am i paying for it now in <laughs> in every respect but it's a it's a brilliant it's a brilliant <laughs> way into something you don't really see in books very often but i i, I love that aspect that you you gave um well you know, I, I wanted to well I, I think for each of us we have different lines of of comprehension of decay and <laughs> uh, for certain people is having a white hair for others, it's wrinkles and uh, all the physical capacities, etc. So, uh, for my my inspector is uh, is uh, this implant and uh, that doesn't that doesn't work. But uh, I think it's important to to detect and also to reflect on these lines in our lives. We cross lines, mm -hmm. sometimes lines. Uh, because of uh, of age, but in other cases because we learn things and uh, there is a before and after uh, line. So and, and this uh, this book is also full of this this line that uh, that uh, you cross and then things are 
totally uh, different and forever different. So I think probably also in this dialogue between ages or dialogue between different generations, uh, uh, it's important to it's important to be conscious of this, be aware of these lines. Even when we are young, we are all the time crossing um, uh, different moments in in our, our life. But I was thinking that. Um, Probably is in the in the ground of literature of in art, what the possibility of different dialogues between generations is 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 easier. So so uh, I think a, a, a good opportunity to be in touch with um, uh, younger generations is to share reading. <laughs> I mean to share books. Yeah. Yes. If, if, if 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 I might come in there because what mm. you've said and. Um, it was it was yesterday I was interviewing uh, Sue Wallman, who writes YA crime fiction, so young adult crime fiction. And I noticed that one of her readers has said, it's so wonderful that my daughter and I were able to share mm -hmm. this book mm -hmm. and able to comment on the issues raised. And it was great because um, the, the the main issue in the book or the, the most recent novel is about catfishing. So, you know, and the dangers there. And, and this reader said, I was able to have a really important conversation with my daughter because we were able to share this text. And so what you've said, Louise, it's just that confirmation that, yeah, that through art and creativity, we maybe can form these lines of communication where there is an understanding um, and again, a reception of of each other that breaks down the barriers that says, you know, you, you don't understand me because you don't know, but maybe in the written word, there can be a sense of, oh, you see me, you yeah. do yes. see me, you know, I am heard. Well, I think, you know, that, that's the beauty of writing, isn't it? That gives us the space to think, you know, when you're reading, yeah. which you don't get in the kinetic world of social media, mm -hmm. of traditional uh, linear media like the, the TV and no. the radio and whatever. Um, and increasingly, you know, there isn't the space. I mean, this the beauty of this podcast and and sure what you do, Jackie, as well, mm -hmm. Um is the you know we give ourselves 40 45 minutes to talk to our guests and it's the it's the one opportunity in the week where things can we can exchange ideas as we have in this interview and we do this every week and and i think that's so rare now because every i mean certainly i'm i'm as guilty as anybody because i was working in the media and tv and radio and it was all about getting it done in a minute and a half Mm. life is like that a lot of the time you know we're going to lose the audience if we don't get this uh you know yeah. move on to the next thing and mm. and actually literature is one of those as indeed and you're a playwright as well uh antonio louisa um as as <laughs> um you know those opportunities of, of going to a theater production and having the space mm -hmm. to have your brain engaged and to be communicated and, and and your brain reaching out to to the performance in front of you is something so different sharing the experience like jackie said sharing the experience with members of your family or it doesn't matter who you know so you you have that in common that you can mm -hmm. start off a discussion from 
Yeah. Yeah, and also this is also this possibility of of surprises because well, when you share books and when you see in a book different characters, maybe the one you prefer, uh, your woman is a man, is younger, or is from a different culture, and also is this capacity of 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 finding yourself uh, more connected to sort of different to another that in and these kind of things in real life are sometimes very very difficult so it's also the, the opportunity it's a sort of mirror literature is a sort of mirror and sometimes the image that that uh, it runs is 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 a surprise for us and uh, well wonderfully <laughs> got to ask is skin deep the first of of many books or in this series or are you going to develop the character and take it further well, uh, well, um, Antonia Lasse is writing um, um, another novel, uh, French novel. Um, the title will be Pale Ivory, is um, because it, well, it's related to to art in in ivory. So, and uh, also, I'm thinking about uh, the possibility uh, for her, for Antonia, to write sort of. Um, uh, transborder uh, literature, so to write uh, also uh, books um, set in Spain with uh, a different uh, inspector, a Spanish uh, vast inspector. So for the moment, I, I am writing um, this second book, A Pale Ivory, and uh, well, and and uh, pursuing my 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 books as a uh, Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> Well, let's hope that it's a collaboration again between you both. Now, here's the one that the bit I'm sure that in the back of your mind, this is the, since we created the random question, I'm, I'm pretty sure our guests sit there thinking, right, this is going quite well. This is going quite well. But there's still the random question coming. <laughs> Not like that um, at all. No. So uh, I will give it the build up. And uh, and here we go. Rebecca's random question. Well, it's actually related to our discussion, but it was pure coincidence. Yeah. So. You get the opportunity to enter a machine and choose a life where it feels real. So it's a bit like um, in the Matrix. It feels real and you, you live this new life forever. Or so you get to choose it. So you could choose to be a millionaire or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you could choose to be 20 again or carry on with your life as it is. What would you choose Jackie first. <laughs> wow, that that is really hard. It's a shame I can't say. Please, can I have both? Um, <laughs> no, you can't. Because I I think that would um, I really would have put now. Because can I ask the question? Will this can this machine take me to a different time in a different place? Yes, absolutely. You choose everything, like your who you are, what you look like, what your how your life unfolds. You get to program it into the machine. So your ultimate real avatar absolutely yeah. but you can't come back oh you can't come back all okay, oh, right okay. just that little caveat in the in, the, in <laughs> yeah. the small print you can't come back i suppose the thing is though if you were allowed to live out that life whichever life it is that and you know it's not just you go and you taste it and that's it well unless death were waiting and that that you know then that's it yeah i would i would choose to go and experience something else i really would because i feel so grateful for everything i've experienced so far in life it's been a full life it's been wonderful and to have a chance to experience life in another time another place another culture 
you know, because this is me with its limitations. If this machine allows me to go be somebody else in a different country and not in a different country as a traveller, but as someone from there, then that's mm. brilliant. I choose that. Okay, there you go. There's your ticket. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, I'm quite happy with my life. I would say I'm happy, but uh, I think for aesthetical um, reasons, um, I would like to live as an adult or as a young adult in the 50s. Uh, the aesthetic of the 50s, I, I like it very, very, very much. And also because it was uh, a time of hope, so of of confidence, of trust, also in the possibility of a good progress and uh, a new world. So I would say that aesthetically and even in a way philosophically, uh, and also uh, artistically, uh, the fifties would be a good option for me. Being being an adult or young adult in the fifties. What mm. about geographically? Would it be in the Basque region, because you know you got Franco. <laughs> no, no, I, I said no. I, I, I imagine uh, uh, a place uh, with freedom. So, can uh, well, in European, uh, I don't know, Italy or or England or. We well, could or even France. invent the place because you've got the controls. True. But um, maybe I am. Um, I have a, this big influence of of uh, films also for the more aesthetical mm. um uh, images but i would say that uh london's in london in the 50s will be a good place to live okay, okay here's your ticket <laughs> apart from the rationing which carried on for ages oh. uh, <laughs> you are the voice of doom remember know, you, you press in no rationing okay all right so okay a, a, a britain that you know was in the 50s but with the sort of um yeah it's it's like you say it's a filmic Version. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm struggling to figure out where I put myself because there's so many options. You are. You are definitely going then. Oh yeah. You don't have to. You can stay where you oh, are. Well, it's not. Don't take it personally. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, no, no, no. I don't. <laughs> I'm not jumping in the machine to leave you, love. No. I'd like you to we, be there too. Yeah. We, we. It's one of those experiments where you just assume there's no. You know. Of course, you got cats and family, but. I see. Okay. <laughs> You're not worrying about them in this. <laughs> What about you? What's your take on it? I would worry that I would program in something so perfect that it would I would just be happy all the time. And I don't think I would I know it sounds a bit weird, but I'd quite like I'd quite like to feel the good and the bad, which you get yeah. in real life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think I'd stay. <laughs> okay. Right. Well there we go. That's what a way to so finish got the show. Two going and one staying, so it's it's with you. It's like a quiz show, isn't it? <laughs> You've got the deciding <laughs> right. route. Now, normally at the end of a show, we'd say, where did we find you online? But uh, in your case, Antonia Stroke Louisa, um, there's two places to find you online, I guess. Pardon? There are, when when we look for you online. Um, to our listeners, where will they find? Where, where they find more. Do, do you have a presence as Antonia as well as Louisa? No, for the moment. Uh, well, my my. Um, Book the, the the Spanish version of uh, Skin Deep. Skin Deep will be launched uh, early in October. So um, we have created a sort of mixture. And uh, my my Spanish publisher, the 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 author is Antonia Lassa, and uh, uh, on the cover of the book, 
I, uh, Luisa Tenique appears uh, as a translator because Antonio is French, so the the right is originally written in French. So, but um, well, almost um, um, everybody knows already knows that uh, I am Antonia Lasha. So, uh, but for the moment, for the moment, um, the 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 public presence of Antonia uh, Lasha is not very important. Uh, change uh, things will change uh, in autumn, but for the moment, for the moment, mm -hmm. I'm so calm with just one personality. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. And and Jackie, I mean, you have a fabulous uh, Twitter presence. If uh, can we call it Twitter anymore? X. X. I like it being, and I have an X-rated presence. That's quite. <laughs> you, you have an X-rated presence, indeed. Yes. Um, where else can we find you online? Um, on uh, on YouTube, um, I have um, a frequent consultation with many lovely authors. Uh, it's called The Doctor Will See You Now. It's Newcastle Noir's YouTube, um, and again, very similar to yourselves. Just just really lovely conversations. You know, I was saying it like I was saying to Sue the other day. It's a place where it's just grab your cuppa, sit down, take some time you know, and, and just en enjoy a chat. Um, so, yeah, so on that thing that used to be the little blue bird, uh, on Facebook as well, um, when, when do we ever get work done on all these social medias? I don't know. But, yeah, <laughs> but if I can give a shout out for December, the beginning of December, um, we'll be back with Newcastle Noir, uh, that small but perfectly formed uh, festival, just, you know, for people people there in, in the northeast to enjoy some fabulous crime fiction and and i'm hoping that antonia lassa will make an appearance <laughs> well yeah that would be fabulous that would be fab we, we'll, we'll have to see if we can travel up too yeah, we, i'm sure we can yeah, i'm sure we can yeah well it's been be, an absolute be lovely to see if you could make it it would be amazing oh well we'd love to it's 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 my favorite newcastle yeah it's my favorite uk city so uh you know, um, would love to be there, but uh, there's look. a really nice little cafe near the the bridgey thing. <laughs> Under the bridgey thing. Under the bridgey. near near, you yeah. can see the you, the cafe door. You see the look, yeah, it looks. Yeah, uh, I think it's, I, I can't remember what it's called, but there's yes, there is a cafe which is uh, oh, it's lovely under the Tyne Bridge. Uh, we had a breakfast yeah. every day, didn't we, when we were in Newcastle last we time? We did, we did. <laughs> yes, right. Well, with that recommendation, I will at the end of the show we will bring you the details of whatever this cafe is. But we look forward to seeing you there. Um, thank you so much, both of pleasure. you. It's been pleasure. an absolute pleasure um, thank you and a having privilege. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure for me too. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. Terrific interview. Really good. And as always, great answers to the random question. Absolutely. Great. I think they really enjoyed that, didn't they? They did. Yeah, it was a great random question. I mean, they're always good, but that was a good one. And every time I think of a random question before we go for the interview and during the interview, I'm sat there thinking, oh, my question is scarily relevant. And it was then as well. Mm -hmm. who's, anyway. our, who's our guest next week? So next week we're talking to... Um, a writer called D.G. Hills. So her name is Doreen, but she writes under D.G. Hills. D.G. Hills. Okay, wonderful. So crime yeah. author. Um, I, I, yes, I think so. <laughs> 
Well, you can see that we do a lot of research before well, we do the interview. Actually, doing it tomorrow, so well, uh, we've thing, got to get yeah. on with it. I mean, the thing is, um, so uh, I was approached by as a, a media company based in Scotland, and we've had a few interviews, a couple of interviews through them. So it's through them that we um, came across DG Hills. Okay, fabulous. All right, well, we'll look forward to speaking to uh, DG Hills next week. Now, I did promise last week that uh, I would play you a little bit of a forthcoming book from Hobeck, which is coming out uh, in a week's time or so. You did. Chasing the Dragon by Mark Whiteman, which is um, causing a fair bit of a stir so far. Uh, it had featured very heavily in the Crime Writers Association Red Herrings magazine, two-page spread about the influence of opium yeah. in colonial life yeah. across uh, the, the, the colonies, the British Empire. And we all, we should also mention that the uh, the uh, book that comes before Chasing the Dragon, Waking the Tiger, is going to be 99p from Tuesday for a week. Okay. So if so you haven't read it yet, don't buy it today, buy it tomorrow. Multi-award nominated <laughs> Waking the Tiger uh, is available then, and then a week later, on the 12th of September, Chasing the Dragon. And I've done the audiobook, and uh, that should come out uh, shortly after the, the, the book itself. So uh, let's hear a little uh, excerpt to, to bring you into uh, into the context. It's set in Singapore. It's 1940. Main character is Max Betancourt. And uh, he has, guess what? A murder to investigate. Chapter 2 A dissonant clangour disturbed what had been until then. A rare, pleasant dream. Well... Perhaps not so much pleasant as not unpleasant. Betancourt turned over, hoping the action might make the noise disappear. But it didn't, and as he felt himself swimming upwards towards a waking state, he came to the realisation that the sound was from the telephone the department provided for him, and not a product of his nocturnal imagination. He was in the habit of sleeping with the curtains open, and the weak gloom, yet untouched by the fingers of the tropical dawn, told him it was too early for any sort of social interaction. He reached across to the bedside table, and fumbled for the wristwatch, but missed, and knocked it on to the tiled floor. Forcing open his eyes, he half rolled, half fell out of bed, and padded through to the lounge room, where the telephone awaited, still ringing patiently. Without waiting for the caller to identify themselves, he barked, "'This had better be good.' On the other end of the line was Quek, his sergeant. "'Sorry, boss, but you need to come down here. A fisherman found something.' Where was here? Memories filtered back into Bessoncourt's sleep-numbed head. It was the first day of the durian season, and he told Quek to be at Jardine Steps early to supervise. Quek said he'd be happy to accept the assignment. He'd been planning to go down anyway, as the wife of his guardian wanted him to pick out the biggest, freshest durian available. It seemed she liked to show off to her friends. What do you mean, found something? What sort of thing? A body boss. A man. At least what's left of one. Caught in a fishing net. It happened. Betancourt didn't recall reading anything about an adverse weather report, but storms blew up without warning, and with the craft of the fishermen used to being so light, one of their number would occasionally be tossed into the sea. 
Maybe the dead man had stupefied himself with opium and fallen overboard. That happened too. What time is it? Quarter to six, boss. Murderer. Or is it a murder? Because there is some debate at the beginning of the book as to whether it's a murder or not. And as ever with these uh, tales, Bettencourt is rubbing um, this friction between him and his bosses. They want a quick, easy solution. But uh, that never happens, does I mean, it? That, that, that's something you come across in all sorts of um, walks of life, don't you? When you're against people who want things neat and tidy and solved and put to bed, and you think, no, it's not quite as easy as that. No. No, it not <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like our lives in many ways. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the, this edition of the Hopcast Book Show. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from every uh, subscriber means a great deal to us and uh, we're extremely grateful for your support don't forget to contact us if you want to through our website www.hobeck.net and indeed archpub.net if you're interested in uh, leaning on our uh, publishing knowledge in any way <laughs> um, and indeed adrianhobartnarration.com if that's something that you fancy as well having heard yes we me... do 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 audio yes we do we do do audio do 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 those as well um yeah having heard me uh, roll back the years to 1940. But anyway, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. My name's Adrian Hobart. My name's Rebecca Collins. And we wish you, from all of us, uh, including the cat who made an appearance in the interview... And uh, just now, too. And just now. Uh, we'd like to wish you a wonderful and... Creative. Week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.